0: This is episode 18 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm Anna Holden, a professional intuitive and energy healer. I help highly sensitive people dig into the shadows of their soul to access their gifts, reclaim their purpose, and get intimate with their ultimate truth. I also teach intuitive development and mentor emerging healers through my Sacred Rebellion programs. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here. Today I'm going to be interviewing Sharon Holmes and I'm so excited to share this conversation with you because I think it's really important and timely and and we cover a lot of ground um, in this in this podcast. in fact I know several times I felt like oh my gosh it's getting long it's getting long but there was so much that we needed to say so I found Sharon via Instagram and the things that I love about Sharon are the incredibly gutsy way that she expresses her truth and she just became somebody that I admired for the work that she was doing in uh, anti-racism work and um, calling out systems of oppression, and calling out the ways in which well-meaning people, well-meaning white women, well-meaning spiritual people could actually be part of the problem and and in some instances are a very large part of the problem. So I, started following Sharon as a way to learn and a way to reflect. And you'll see that as we get into our conversation a little bit uh, toward the end, where Sharon shares with us some of her frustration of how particularly white spiritual leaders have been showing up and doing a disservice to people of color, indigenous women, biracial women and people. And it's such a a great moment for any of you white women spiritual healer people to listen it's so easy when these statements are made to get our hackles up you know and it's kind of interesting to me because I see my own husband get his hackles up when I say similar things about where he is kind of upholding these systems of patriarchy or sexism it can be really easy to get your hackles up in the face of somebody who is calling you out. And what I love about Sharon's work is that she's very uh, specific. She speaks from her own experience. And so it's as long as you as long as we as white people can learn to, you know, get past. Um, our own white fragility there's so much that Sharon has to say to us and so I really invite you to you know listen to her here and then to follow her on social media and support her on patreon because she's doing incredible incredible work speaking of patreon Sharon has a really fantastic extra for us today Um, for all of the Patreon supporters who are at the $2 or above level, where she's going to talk to me about her pillars of gutsy leadership, which are just fantastic. You don't want to miss that conversation. So if you haven't already and you like this podcast, please head over to patreon.com forward slash sensitivity uncensored and support at whatever level is comfortable to you and you'll receive this extra plus all kinds of extras from myself and my guests. Without further ado, I would like to introduce Sharon Holmes. Her work dives deep into social justice and personal sovereignty. Sharon disrupts spiritual and entrepreneurial spaces with her #DearSelf styled guru letters calling out for better representation of diversity. She compiled the Reading and Resources for Activists list, an essential resource of social justice writings, tools, education and programs. She teaches women and girls gutsy leadership, the magic of creativity, to trust their intuition, speak their truth, and to be the leaders of their own lives. Sharon has a wealth of knowledge and learning gained from trauma, transition, and personal transformation. She is a gutsy leader, artist, speaker, sacred activist, earthshaker, and writer. (laughs) Hi, Sharon. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, oh, thank you, Anna. Thank you so
0: much for having me. You're so welcome. I am really excited to have our conversation today. I I think I started noticing you on Instagram was the first place I saw you with your Gutsy Girl art posts and mm. became just so intrigued in your work and um, and the, the, the kind of this fiery passion you have behind it. <laughs> um, and so I'm just – so all of you listeners, if you're not um, – following sharing it on Instagram or Patreon you really really should. <laughs> oh, <thank> um, you. <laughs> yeah so tell us about a little bit about the the formation of your company of Gutsy, Gutsy Girl and Gutsy Leadership. Can you talk yeah. let's talk a little bit about that how you came into it? Okay sure so
1: um, I started Gutsy Girl really as a hobby and for all intents and purposes, it still is very much a hobby. It's really (laughs) a side gig, but it's certainly where most of my passions lie um, and where I get to express and teach from, you know, from my heart. Um, Mm. So I started back in 2012, Gutsy Girl, and when I started the business, it was all hobby, really. Um, I was just making jewellery and painting, just getting into art and um, going to handmade markets and just, you know, sharing my jewellery and, um, selling my artwork basically. And I guess from there, I really wanted to share that work with other people. So I was really doing a lot of, um, I guess, soul work at that time. So I was doing a lot of journaling. I was doing a lot of self inquiry and really combining well healing, healing through my art. So in diving into art was just a way of, I guess, practicing mindfulness and and being in my body and being in the present moment. And through that process, Um, I embraced art journaling. So art journaling came into it. So I Mm. processed a lot of deep stuff that needed to be uncovered and um, art just made it a beautiful process because instead of just journaling and writing about the tough moments and going through that process, which sometimes can be really, really painful and really confronting, um, I married it up with art. So colour and joy Mm. and texture and Working with my hands and playing with the paint, um, and obviously with jewelry making—you know, molding metal, you know, playing with sterling silver and um, soldering and joining and sawing—so it was just, yeah, I really found a deep sense of peace. Even if I was at the anvil hammering a piece of metal, um, that to me was just part of that creative process and just that rhythm of what my soul needed, you know. So in in some ways, that just made me realize that. I was probably doing sound healing while I was hitting the anvil. <laughs> I Absolutely. Just I'm thinking, hang on a second. So I wasn't just like creating, I was obviously doing some kind of you know work on a sound level for my body as well. So um, it really started there. Um, the uh, I guess the underlying message from when I was making jewelry and creating the art was I really wanted to connect with women and girls and um, empower them through the work that I was creating at the time, and I think, well, the first um, little jewellery collection I made um, was like a superpowers collection, so um, each each jewellery piece was made with crystals and eco sterling silver, 100% um, recycled sterling silver, and I just melded those qualities together um, to have like some empowering messages. And from there, um, I started making one-word mantra necklaces, so they were just like little silver discs with um, guiding words stamped on them. Love, magic, guided, um, peace, all, you know, all kinds of words, whatever people wanted. And um, that then evolved into creating my first print product, which is called Gutsy, Gutsy Mantra. So it's a set of um, 100% recycled, veggie um, inks, solar printed powered um, mantra cards. Um, and they were just affirmations that came through from the first women's circle workshop that i ever held i really wanted people to connect with the journaling and connect with the work so the activity that we did at the end of that first circle was to um write down some you know meaningful messages um for ourselves Mm -hmm. and everyone wrote you know three or four different messages that they wanted to remind themselves you know about who they are and what they deserve and that they're worthy. And after that activity was done, I said, now I want you to take one of those and I want you to give it to someone in the room who you've never met before. So it was a really beautiful exchange of this is the message that I need, but I can probably learn from others and share my messages with someone else. So <clears throat> I found that, found that really powerful. And it wasn't until I actually saw it in action um, that I realised how truly powerful That could be. Um, And so the cards really came from that idea. Um, And when I was creating the the words, because there's 16 16 different affirmations in the set, um, it was really interesting because the words just really came to me, like they flowed really easily. Um, But because I'm, I guess, a bit of an intense person, I have some really hard ones in there. So when I wrote them all out, I sent them to a couple of friends and I said, look, these are the affirmations i've written for my first card set please tell me what you think and how they make you feel because being an empath i really want to tune in and connect with people on that level but also it's connection with myself and knowing what messages i also need to hear and one of the messages is um i'm beautiful in my mind body and soul and i accept myself completely and that one that one had to be in there and one of my friends said to me that one's really hard. You know, that Uh, one's really, really hard. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm open to working on it. So they're not, to me, um, the affirmations that I have put together um, are about doing the deep work. They're not just, I'll just bypass it and I'll just put love and light on everything. They are Mm -hmm. like, I am Go. I'm, you know, I'm powerful. I am resilient. You know, I'm brave and courageous. Like I I can do these things. And Mm -hmm. even if I don't believe them right now, if I focus on doing the work, like actively doing the work, not just reading the words, but actually working on doing my soul work and doing what I want to do and going on this path of self-discovery, then those words won't over time become less uncomfortable and I will become those things. So, um, yeah. So I really had to leave that one in. And my, one of my other friends said she read them and she cried. So yeah. to me, it was like, that's, they are evoking the type levels, the, the different um, spectrum of emotions that one would need if they're going to actually do the deep work and deep soul work is really powerful and really important work to do. Yeah. Um, if we really want to get free. And if we really, really want to transform our lives and being highly sensitive, Um, there's so much stimulus around and so much overwhelm that um, I think it's important to have some tool or some practices or a little toolkit that you can just turn to and go, I can go to this and I can create peace for myself or I can go to this practice or this tool and, you know, embody the work or get into my body if I feel disconnected. Mm -hmm. Um, So that for me has been really important because I think for a lot of my life, I wasn't living in my body because of trauma and because I didn't understand why my feelings and emotions were so strong. You know, I often felt very overpowered by them. And if I would express them with certain people, I was always told I was too much or, you know, you're so sensitive. Like that's a bad thing in today's world. What we need is more compassion and more sensitivity and, So now, instead of viewing it as, like, you know, something that I have to protect myself from sharing, I share it. So um, there's so much power in being an empath. Sometimes you don't feel that, but I've grown to understand that, you know, it is a superpower. So for me, superpower is very important to bring that out for the women and
0: girls that um, I work with. Oh, absolutely. I just love so much of what you said. I mean, I mean, my whole platform is about the superpowers of sensitive, Mm. intuitive people, I mean, and and providing a toolkit and recognizing, you know, that we're not too much. I mean, like everything you just said there, I'm like, yes, 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 absolutely. We've got Mm. to be doing this all over the world. And something that I just want to kind of draw attention to in what you said, because this is something that I see that there's this pattern that I see, at least with a lot of the sensitive people I work with, where they really have this big idea inside of them, or they really have mm-hmm. maybe what seems kind of like a weird idea, like I want to pair, you know, massage with energy healing and social justice. And like, you know, how do I get, you know, and we tend to be these perfectionists when we're young, you know, and tend to try Mm. to like, well, how do I do that? Right. And something that you said that I just love so much is like, well, I started this as a hobby and I was doing this work for myself and I loved it so much that I decided, you know, I wanted to reach this audience and do these women's circles. And so I love that you just gave yourself permission to, to do this and to kind of keep, keep moving forward. And I think, I mean, that's really what a lot of this podcast is about is highlighting other sensitive creatives who have, done this work for themselves and how they, you know, how they got there. So I just think that's awesome. Okay. So what I'm hearing is from this art kind of from this art therapy and from these mantra cards, um, then you moved into like a leadership program, right? For girls you have got this, yeah, gutsy leadership. So tell us about that and what does it mean to live a gutsy life uh, from you? So, um, the gutsy
1: leadership really came out of um the women's circle so Mm. I was only able to reach you know no more than 10 women at a time running these circles I was running them every month um, thereabouts and I think by the time I um sort of went on a sabbatical and stopped running them I'd run over 30 of these events on my own Um, and I realized that if I the best way of sharing my work was to teach my work because I knew that it was powerful and I knew that it was having an effect because not only did it help me evolve and it helped me to trust myself, I knew that it would help other women and girls to trust themselves as well and, and you know, follow a pathway. So um, I was still running circles at the time and I ended up creating my sacred circle leadership program, which is actually now discontinued for the time being just because I'm working on other things, which I guess will we'll move forward and talk about soon yeah um, and so i just started teaching women how to, to to lead their own circles you know lead circles in their own way um, giving them you know the the basis of you know the foundations of, of how to lead circle and how to own their leadership and um, how to promote their events and give them also like a blueprint for how to do how to run a circle from start to finish and Um, I provided scripts on how to write, you know, their own meditations and guided journeys. And so they were also able to just kind of pick up this document and go, okay, I'm just going to book a date and book a venue and I'll just follow the plan and I'll put my own, you know, my own, um, signature on it. And, um, those circles from the women that, um, I've taught are still running now. So that's really powerful. Oh, that is Um, super powerful. Yeah. Yeah, there haven't been loads of women, but for me, it was just knowing, just spreading my work a little bit further so that other women could create a sanctuary for other women because it's something Mm -hmm. that we don't have a great deal of and Mm -hmm. one thing that I've written about a little bit um, has been sisterhood wounds. So this this work is a way of... bridging the gap and repairing those wounds that we have whether we know them or not whether they were this life or a previous life it's just to bridge that that gap but also to create brave and safe spaces for women to meet because in the world that we live in um women are always pitched against one another you know yeah. there's always this competitiveness about success and education and appearances and the the types of things that um, we should celebrate each other for rather than being against each other. So I think when we create a brave space for other women, not only are we giving um, something of ourselves, we're also passing that around so other women can see how we can help each other because the circle isn't really about leadership. It's about all, reaching and and seeking the leader that we all have inside of us mm-hmm. so whilst we can lead a circle we are just as much the student as the teacher yeah that's certainly what i've learned from the experiences that i've had so mm-hmm. um after i started running that program i also um did a youth mentor training with mm-hmm. amanda Rutsi um from shine from within because i wanted to connect the work with girls so I could see that um, because I'm a multi-passionate person, I could see how the art, the creativity, the leadership, the um, self-awareness, self-acceptance, self-worth work would obviously hugely benefit girls. And being the mum of an almost 12-year-old, um, I could really see how important that was to do the work for her. And and just as a side note, Gutsy Girl was really named after her. You know, mm. like, I'm raising this girl and I'm raising this free spirit and this girl who has this big, kind, compassionate heart. And I wanted to show her what was possible. You know, we Mm -hmm. don't just have to do one thing. We can be all of the things and we can choose what we want to do. And we get to direct that path. Mm -hmm. Um, And it all comes from within us. So for me, it's just as much about raising up girls as it is about raising up other women. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So powerful. so powerful. Can you talk, you know, something that you said, and, and I read what you wrote about this. I, I don't remember if it was on your, it might've been on your Patreon um, or maybe it was on your website, but can you talk about, can you talk more about this sisterhood wound? And I, I think, I believe I know what you're talking about and I've had clients um, come in with these wounds, but I would love for, for us to dive into that a little bit more.
1: Okay. Um, yes, I have written about the sisterhood wound. So I wrote about that on my blog, I think. Um, it would have been maybe last year or the year before. Mm. Um, I'm not sure because it actually took me a year to write that post. Oh. Um, I had, yeah, it took me a year because I had a sisterhood wound that had happened in the last few years that I was reflecting upon and working on. Um, and from doing, I guess, that, that work, um, it uncovered the original or the origin of the sisterhood wound in me. So, mm. you know, going back to a time in my uh, early adolescence where um, I was abandoned by a friend during um, a sexual assault um, situation, mm. and it was a really hard experience to go through and to have memory of that, and it really did change my whole life. It affected um, the way that I would have, have friendships with women. It was really hard to really trust and know because being sort of person that I am deeply feeling, um, if I connect with someone, I connect with someone and, you know, like I'm, I'm loyal and, and, um, you know, I'm a supporter as well. So when, um, when I was able to identify that original wound, um, it made me really sad. It made me really sad that it happened at such a young age where friendships and, um, you know, your puberty and puberty, going through puberty is everything. You know, it's everything that, that, you know, you you don't have anywhere to go. And because you are still developing, you know, um, in all ways, you um, aren't equipped to deal with those situations. So in youth mental work, we talk about, what it means to be a good friend and how to treat treat other girls with respect and with love. Um, but also we need to teach them about confidence and yes. self-awareness and consequences mm-hmm. as well. But some of these concepts, depending on the age group of the girls, sometimes it's hard to to get them to understand. So we have to start, uh, that I believe we need to start earlier with, with girls' Um, having the opportunity to sit in circle as well, whether it's with like a mother-daughter circle, which I've run before, or it's just just girls alone, just to sort of get them um, together to embrace each other's differences and also to see that um, you know that we're all connected. That if we hurt another girl, we're pretty much are hurting ourselves, and we're hurting like we're hurting all of us, really. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's not something that we want, not today. Gosh,
0: no, no. And I can just see how, you know, this, this work, this like gutsy leadership work for girls, you know, being able to teach them compassion at a younger age and to, you know, even start to see the, the social construction around competition so that they can, Mm. you know, choose to stay out of it would be so important. You know, as you were talking, I just got had a vivid flashback of my sisterhood wound that happened at about that same time, right? About puberty. And And it was true. Where in you know, I really didn't trust women after that, and had a really difficult time. Um, Yeah, being in in groups of women, I always through high school and a lot of college actually, I tended to be in circles with men. And I and I could and I had made that connection, but I hadn't considered it such Uh a. You know, I hadn't labeled it the sisterhood wound. So that's really interesting. Really interesting.
1: And did you, yeah, did you see how, um, when you did have friendships with women, that that wound was still there or that history repeated itself? Because that I've noticed that, but there's I've had the same kind of you know, like I've seen the same sort of thing play out again and again in terms of being abandoned or betrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, you know, the abandonment is a cool wound, it, it probably goes before the age of 14. Um, mm-hmm. and actually, it does. Um, I, I guess I just want to bring this up now because I I don't want um, anyone to think that this stuff just happens in the teenage years. Right. Um, yeah. So I recently started um, studying holistic counselling, and um, we were talking about going back to um, like going back to a particular like going back to a memory, like the earliest memory that we had of, of something that that we experienced. And um, so I decided, knowing that. Um, abandonment has been a very big theme in my life, to go and look and just sort of sense where that was. And I discovered that it was actually when I was in primary school. So, um, and it wasn't, and usually um, a person might think, you know, certain types of wounds, particularly abandonment, would start from the family, but it didn't. For me, it was a friend. So it was even even at that young age, you know. So Mm -hmm. these wounds don't necessarily happen at the age you think. They can happen much earlier. And we don't always remember those younger years. So Mm -hmm. um, everyone's different. Some people might not be able to pinpoint the first time, but Mm -hmm. um, I was able to pinpoint the first time and then I could see the pattern, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting you say that because I know I have a wound that was um, before I was pre-verbal and I had seen it show up <clears throat> in my life and I hadn't, I didn't really, I hadn't been able to identify the cause until my mom told me the stories about when I was born and her kind of unresolved postpartum depression and I was born with congenital congenital hip dysplasia and so I had to be in a sling and I was very very uncomfortable and so I'd cry most of the night and my mom told me that um she she would go to get out of bed to get me I get kind of emotional when I talk about this um and my father would hold her in the bed and say well she has to learn and I was just days old So I think I I learned from a really early age that I was too much, right? Mm -hmm. Too, you know, too much, too much to handle, too much to deal with. And then, yeah, it repeated that, you know, itself in, I think I was 11 when the sisterhood wound kind of reoccurred. And then it's been kind of a miss. I've definitely had friends um, where that has happened and I've been abandoned. Um, And there have been others where it seems like the, I don't know, the the energy of the agreement that we enter in on is just different, if that makes sense. And I think part of that is that, I don't know if we're both at a more similar place or an open place or something like that, but those don't tend to to end that way. So I haven't really um, dug into that more than that but um yeah i i've definitely noticed having kind of cycles of like a really good friend kind of like that best friend was when i was little and then being completely abandoned by them mm, that's yeah. really
1: interesting <laughs> yeah it's really interesting um yeah. yeah i have like uh one really i've one best friend now and she's um been you know in my life for since we were about 18 years old so um mm you know i I'd like to say that if i when I look at um, potentially making friends with other women, I look to how that friendship is as to what i what I want and obviously we're not always going to get that whole you know perfect friendship um, but I think it's really important um to really trust our instincts as well, mm-hmm. because there definitely have been people that have come and gone in my life where I sensed there was something, but because I couldn't, you know, because we live in this society where we need bloody evidence of everything. Yes. Um, you kind of think I need okay. to know exactly why, otherwise my decision is, is, is incorrect. So to just trust that instinct, instinct sometimes I think is really important just to kind of, okay there's something not right, maybe not go, like, all in, all invested, because that's what I've done, you know. When, yep. I, think, when I think or feel that um, the other person is invested, but they're really then, you know, usually uncover much later and painfully that um, that first instinct of maybe not so close was probably... Mm-hmm
0: yeah you know it's funny I talk about this in a in in just a previous episode of how like that's that's always been part of kind of my sensitive gift is like I'm always able to sense something that's going on yeah. and it hasn't been yeah. until I've been older that I'm like oh that's you know now as an intuitive I'm like okay I think that's what's going on but earlier it's just like you know kind of swimming through different waves of feeling and trying to dodge the ones that are the biggest biggest,
1: yeah I I relate to that very much
0: (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. all right so I want to shift gears a little bit so I just love that your work focuses on you know has a really strong um uh, strong social justice lens and focuses on dismantling the patriarchy by support, supporting liberation of marginalized people and you've been really vocal about this on social media and and patreon about calling out white supremacy particularly in spiritual leaders and and i love this because when you post i'm like oh she's talking to me I better listen. (laughs) Um, So we talked a little bit about this before we started the recording, but can you talk more about your work in this area? And then specifically, like, you know, what has helped kind of compel you to be able to speak out and make these powerful calls to um, white women leaders to do better?
1: Okay. Um, Well, it's interesting because I recently unpacked where it started from because I couldn't really see where like, like I knew that um, justice was something that was always important to me. Mm -hmm. um, Even from, you know, even from a young age, probably it stems right back to my first experience of racism when I was seven. So I still remember that experience and um, feeling helpless. I still remember the name of the kid and everything. And it's, um, and how, when we were later on in high school, he he was st- he was he was worse towards mm-hmm. me um, because he had a group of friends that were also um, like that. And um, for me, when I started to reflect upon like what 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 got me here to talking about what I'm talking about and writing about what I'm writing about now is. Um, I've gone through a lot of stuff, you know, I've, I've lived a pretty full life and, but I've also experienced a lot of trauma alongside all those good times. And I've also had to make my way in the world and grow up in the world, knowing that um, I'm pretty much fucking invisible, you know? Um, and I think that's an experience that a lot of people have when they um, are not white. Um, I'm biracial um, and I just grew up not seeing me anywhere. You know, I remember I was actually, I actually shared with a friend just recently that the first time I saw someone on a magazine cover that kind of looked like me was when I was about 14 years old and it was a teen girl magazine and it was a biracial model on the cover. And that was the first time I'd actually seen anyone that looked like me. And that was, that was just, you know, at that age, you know, someone who was, you know, just maybe a couple of years older than me. Um, And prior to that, um, in terms of, say, you know, um, news media and and TV, um, there was, there were, there was a there actually some, some of them are still on TV, even today. Um, Some... Uh, you know, women of colour on, you know, on the news, but not on commercial stations, even now, still not on commercial stations. So for me, the work began, the work has always, I've always been furious about the fact that there has been, um, even though I live in a multicultural country, um, the representation is really, really poor. We don't see the faces on, we don't see faces in the public eye that we see walking down the street every day. Mm -hmm. And that bothers me a lot. And so, for me, the the work comes from, I guess, my own experiences of racism, having experienced mm-hmm. that from the age of seven right through high school, where it, was, it felt like a battleground every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, I guess, being, you know, someone who's been in, like, the creative, spiritual community for the last, you know, six years or so, realising that there is a huge disconnect with the work they are doing and where I fit into that and where people, um, where black people fit into that, where indigenous people fit into that, where all people of colour fit into that. And so it was actually during, after a time of experiencing um, you know, significant trauma, where I started to see that their work wasn't for me, that no matter how hard I tried, um, their work wasn't working for me because their work did not address the problems that I had experienced growing up, they did not they did not um, deal with what it's like to be marginalised. They did not deal with racism as being um, something that really affects your identity and the way you are treated and the way you are spoken to. Um, and I still remember like being maybe 11 or 12 years old and I was getting on the bus with my mum and this man who was uh, like a, I don't know, I can't remember how old he was. He would have been older than my mum and he, you know, racially abused us on the bus. And um, because I already knew what this shit show was like, even at that, that, that age, I said that he should shut up and not speak to people if he didn't have anything nice to say. So for me, I've been fighting for a long time. Yeah. Um, But I've only really, after doing all of this work over the last number of years, doing deep soul work, where I've actually felt like I can break my silence and say something about it. um, Because, you know, I've got nothing to lose now. You know, I've gone through a lot of trauma, um, more than my fair share. I experienced racism through high school. It affected my final results. I didn't get to study what I wanted to study because I couldn't study because I was so messed up. Um, because racism was something I faced every day and living um, with vigilance and, and being stressed about whether I was going to be racially abused was just, you know, I just, I just wasn't um, equipped to deal then, but I am equipped now. Mm-hmm. So I really don't have any fear in saying what I have to say because it's not like I'm not saying something that's not true because it's pretty damn obvious what's going on. And um, when I was saying before about um, recognizing that the work of white spiritual teachers doesn't include me um, and because it wasn't created for me and this is what I mean by that, um, when a spiritual leader is white and they're cisgendered and they're able-bodied um, and they don't address their privilege, that, that, the privilege of those identities and they're uneducated, about why that matters, then they will cause harm and pain to people that they don 't identify with and who don 't identify with the same, as, with the same traits that they have, so they will cause harm and pain and i 've seen it time and time again, and it has happened so frequently lately my head is spinning, so many yeah. heads are spinning, but right now um, heads need, heads need to roll so i 'm writing this stuff because it needs to be written. Um, You cannot really be doing spiritual work if you are not interested in dismantling your own internalised racism and oppression. Um, Like, if you are the sole benefactor of white privilege, which is born from white supremacy and comes from the oppression of marginalised people, how can your work be for people of colour? How can... The work be for people with different gender identities. How can the work be for diverse bodies when everything there's thin privilege, right? Absolutely. Um, mm, how yeah, can and, work,
0: yeah, and and pretty woman privilege and yes, yes, looking wealthy pretty privilege pretty. and yes, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's so mm-hmm. many
1: identities that
0: mm-hmm.
1: that a model, we see them, that we see the most successful people, particularly in the spiritual community, they all, they all look a particular way.
0: They look the same. They all look look the the same. same. They look the
1: same, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So honestly, how can their work benefit, aid, transform or be helpful to the rest of us? Mm -hmm. How? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's my belief that if white spiritual teachers are not, seeking education on social justice issues, um, and they're not paying people of color to learn about the way they raise or the way that um, they are in a position of privilege, then how can they sell us anything? How can their work be of value to us? And why are they erasing and omitting people? They can't just put like a blanket this work is for everyone because it's not.
0: No, it's not. And and I've seen so many instances just recently, I think you and I have both been kind of aware of a couple of things that have gone down with white spiritual leaders. And um, it's so disheartening to see the, you know, w- when they are called out, like the lack of um, mm. just, the, you know, the fragility and, and all of that, we're just, they're unable to, see where they've done harm they're unable to um apologize and to actually do that dismantling work I mean I've been watching kind of some um I guess global national instances um in the yoga world but then also some regional things happening here in Washington as well and okay it's just been incredibly incredibly frustrating um yeah yeah, on so many levels yeah
1: and a common response is you're shaming me
0: that that just like I, oh. that just makes me so angry because it's using you know kind of a oh a spiritual healing term as a weapon against somebody mm. who is actually the oppressed, right? You know, yeah. it, you know, you're not being shamed. Calling being called out is different than being shamed. It it can be the mm. same, but it's usually different.
1: Yeah, and if they were doing their work, they would know the difference exactly. As well. Um, and I think we've both seen there have been some very high-profile people um, committing acts of violence using weapons of whiteness towards people of colour who have confronted them or not responding to them at all so ignoring their comments and only responding to those who are white and saying oh you know I'm so sorry you can't run your summit or you know I, I agree with you I love your work I don't these people are saying, these people are saying, you know, that, that inference, which is just (laughs) disgusting. Yes. Um,
0: Yes. Just a complete erase of humanity right there with the. Yes, that's right. Mm Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Take the stolen land, oppress people, but don't, you know, don't bring that up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. there's a lot of that. And it, it makes me very angry, but I'm also very passionate about, um, talking about it and pointing it out. And, you know, it, it's, it, it. this work does require a thick skin to some degree, but, um, when you're sensitive, you just have to have, you just have to be really, you just really have to have a toolkit of stuff and some time out from, um, dealing with stuff because it is very draining and it takes a lot of time and, and labor and, yeah. um, emotion to, to write about these things and to teach about these things and to respond to people. Yeah. Um, I've gotten to the stage where if people ask me questions which they can Google, I will say you can Google that. Yep. You know, I, I'm, I'm more than happy if, if a friend asks me, I might answer, but otherwise I'm just like I've put stuff together, I can point you in the direction of who you should be following, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to answer your question.
0: No, it's way because, too exhausting. Yeah. You know and and something that one of my mentors said one time is that you know if we're all you know you and I and, and whoever else, if we're all kind of in this plight together you know to to, to work with for the freedom of all individuals, then you know and we, and we have enough of us, then you can take a break for a day, and I can pick up the slack you know. That's right. Yeah. But you and other, you know, marginalized people, you need more of us. You need more white people doing the work. And so mm. I mean, you, you need more of us because, I mean, as you said, you're tired and you've been doing all of the work for how long? And us white people have been benefiting mm. from you doing the work and not having to do it ourselves, right? Um, and so anyway, I just feel, in part of what I feel, at least in, in – Trying to do my work is, is much more of a responsibility to try to amplify voices, you know, like yours that are super, super powerful and have been, um, you know, shut down more than someone like mine with my super wide appearance. <laughs> 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 um, and, and to try to take more responsibility. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and
1: I guess I have, you know, some other, I guess, some other questions around, um, you know, white spiritual teachers that yeah. clearly are not interested in inclusion. Because how did we get to 2018, and um, we have people have like marginalized people haven't been considered. Like it just, it just doesn't yeah. make any sense. Um, so. For me, like, my work is a lot about, I do a lot of personal research um, on representation and um, and try to see how people can do better in terms of inclusion. So when I think about it, um, why are white people not doing the work, particularly if they're resourced, because if they are in, an influencer or thought leader type position, they are resourced. They can they can hire consultants, they can pay for programs, they can do the work. So if they're not doing the work, and sure, right now there might be people doing the work, but they're just not ready to say what they're doing, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I I would think that if someone is doing the work, there would have been some indication prior to now because they would have been saying stuff about Black Lives Matter, they would be saying something about hey, I'm in the speaker lineup and there's 20 white people here and one person of colour or one disabled person or one person with a different type of body. Like, Why aren't they speaking out about that kind of stuff? Because that's where they can make real change. Because they can say, hey, you know what? I think your lineup needs to be more inclusive. Like, why, Why is it the way it is and why is it still like this? So if they're not asking those questions, I want to know why because it's yeah i want to know why they aren't doing something when they have they're in a position of power um and Mm -hmm. if their role and their ethos is to help people you know um achieve a sense of self-empowerment and to you know find the power within then why aren't they actually doing more about it than just talking and speaking and selling books.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and it, it actually, that, that makes me kind of circle back to what you were saying earlier about how we raise girls, you know, because yeah. it makes me think that uh, so, It makes me wonder, you know, you're asking that question. It makes me wonder like, huh, like are these spiritual teachers kind of doing spiritual things, but then still running off of this, these old programs of competition and, um, you know, Mm. within circles where it's like, if you're still running off of that childhood, um, this is how we treat other women, other people competition, which means you haven't done the healing of that work. And then you're like doing spiritual things. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's just kind yeah, of a, yeah. a question I have. Yeah, it's disconnected, and so yeah. it, it makes me think that you know the work that you're doing is just even that more important. So, so it sounds like those are a couple things that you would like to see, you know, in the realm of spiritual leadership and coaching to be different. Basically, for white people to speak up more and say, "Hey, why isn't this more representative?" I'm curious what else you'd like to see if you want to share with that with us. Okay. Um, Hmm.
1: Um, Just on what I was saying about, you know, Mm -hmm. if you have a lineup of 20 speakers, um, it's not just about going, Hey, let's just add another person to the lineup. So we don't look bad because that's performative. So we don't want any of that stuff. So if we're going to say, Hey, got 20 speakers in the spiritual realm then there's definitely going to be lots of different people we can have here you know we can include black people we can include indigenous people Um, we can include other people of color we can include people who um, have diverse bodies different body types we can have people who um, uh, have different gender identities we can have people who are disabled or have chronic illness or, um, you know, sometimes the stuff that you don't see as well because they all have stories to share and they're all interesting stories. You know, we don't want to hear the same stuff. Like, to me, um, I've actually um, boycotted going to any events. You know, I, I live in Brisbane, so there's very, very few events anyway, but I've just decided I'm not really going to engage in anything unless I see a change because I live in a multicultural country and I'm connected with um, different types of people, the peop- like the the people that I've just mentioned. So um, I don't see them being booked out. I don't see them getting booked out um, doing speaking gigs, and mm-hmm. and I don't see them being interviewed um, on podcasts or on blogs. So I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. You know. So I-, I think that there needs to be. You know, it's not just. Obviously, the work needs to be done. You need to understand social justice and you need to do some racism 101 and you need to understand from other perspectives. But the way that I see it, particularly when it comes to event organisers, is the people who are in the audience would like to see people on the stage that look like them or that have their stories, you know. So we can kind of go, this is how we can learn, this is how we can grow, this is how we can transform. And unless we see that, we're probably not going to be able to change we're going to have to do a lot of inner work ourselves and that's fine but wouldn't it be nice to be inclusive wouldn't it be nice to just do the right thing and not be lazy because it's so Mm -hmm. it's a lot of bullshit the way that i see it like it's when i see a lineup particularly like the online summer type stuff when Mm -hmm. i see a lineup in the spiritual particularly spiritual community that's all white and i or mostly white Mm -hmm. i think how lazy is that? Because there's people that are on the lineup that will be people who t- are talking about yoga. Where does yoga come from? There will be people talking about going on shamanic journeys. Where does shamanic journeying come from? Yeah. You know, we're, we're, there's so much stuff that is in the spiritual community that comes from another culture. Mm-hmm. And very often you will see in a lineup the people who are the experts are not from that lineage. Yep. And that needs to change.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So,
1: yeah, I, I just yeah, I, I I find it um yeah like I said I find it really lazy. It makes me think, how can you be so how can you so poorly research something? You can't just always invite your friends. That's boring.
0: Yeah, it's to, boring. You need to broaden your
1: scope. Yeah, it's boring. We see the same stuff all the time. And if you just have like one speaker that's um or one teacher that um is from you know that looks different that's really not enough. You know, I don't want to be sitting somewhere and playing diversity bingo going up yet the same shit's happening again. Mm-hmm. I want to see something real. I want to see some real change. And um, i got to the point where it's, it's overdue. Like it's really overdue and I have limited time and limited resources, <laughs> but I will create it if I have to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And it's it's you know going from zero to trying to create something amazing that's current that is diverse mm-hmm. um and i would really like to see some real change but i know it's not an overnight process i don't really want to see anyone overnight creating something because that to me
0: that that becomes yeah that becomes performative again yeah yeah, yeah. yeah
1: that's <laughs> right and you really have to do the work you know like we're in like activism programs and that kind of mm-hmm. thing um you really need to understand the concepts and what it means and, and how, what it's like for the other person in order to be able to talk about it. Because I have heard some people having public conversations and it's really disjointed and awkward because they have not been speaking or learning from the people who know. Right. So there's that, that element as well and be really careful about what you speak about. And that doesn't mean be quiet until you have like a PhD in this stuff. It just means talking about it and sometimes saying, you know what, if I have this wrong, please let me know.
0: Exactly. And being
1: willing to accept that it's going to be uncomfortable if you make a mistake because I know I've made mistakes. Absolutely. And And there are some things that I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm not perfect, but Mm -hmm. I show up. and, And I guess a lot of my work is about if I make a mistake or if I say the wrong thing, i'll learn and i'll and i will go and do the research i won't go Mm -hmm. hey explain this stuff to me because um that's not their job yeah (laughs) that's 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 not right that's wrong go and investigate and do the work and don't expect people to do shit for you for free because you know oh
0: no absolutely absolutely yeah i mean that's one thing i've become really clear on is i'm going to make mistakes i'm going Mm -hmm. to have blind spots and I need to be okay with the discomfort of being called out and, and have a practice of self-reflection, of doing research, of understanding what happened and of changing the behavior. You know, it, it, and it's pretty, to me, it's, it's kind of like relationship 101, you know, but in, in kind of a, a, um, a broader context, you know, it's like you do something wrong, right, you care. So, <laughs> so you say, I'm sorry. You understand, mm. you know, you go do your research. What did I do wrong? Come back, change your behavior, you know?
1: Yeah, that's right. And don't get defensive when someone <sighs> no. tells you that you did it wrong or you said it wrong. It's just like, okay, you know, like when I know, I know. And also it's, it's just, you know, once you do know, once you have done the research, it's about putting that into action as well mm-hmm. um, because you can do all the reading and you can hire all the consultants that you like. But unless you actually show up and do the work thereafter, um, no one's really going to believe what you're doing. No one's really going to trust that, that you are doing the work or that you um, honour and respect the people who, you know, every person in the room right. or every person that's going to sign up to the summit, even if they see that they're not represented. Yeah. You know, you need to, yeah. I, I yeah. just I feel really strongly about that just... Yeah you can't expect me to pay for your program if you don't actually show me right it's for me and I mean there's there's obviously a lot of influencers out there that are running programs and stuff like that and I can go yeah that looks really good but no um yeah
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I understand so let's um We could talk about this all all night, I think, or morning for you. But (laughs) I want to jump into this this next topic. Um, You talk on your website about sovereignty, and it's just a topic that I really love. And I just kind of want to dish about it with you. So what does this concept of sovereignty mean to you?
1: Okay. Um, Sometimes people get confused about what sovereignty means, because they think about it, um, not in terms of, their free will, like their personal sovereignty. So that's Mm -hmm. what I'm going to talk about. Yes. Um, Yeah. That's, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. So for me, sovereignty is, um, about self-acceptance and self-awareness. Like firstly, if we're going to put it in order, self-awareness, like what am I doing? What's the cause and effect? Who am I? Those kinds of questions, Mm self-acceptance, um, you know, discovering and learning who you are, and owning that, and just recognizing that, yeah, I guess just what we were talking about before—that you aren't, you're not necessarily going to get everything right. But when you do make a mistake, when you do royally screw up, mm-hmm. then to take ownership of that and do the work, mm-hmm. um, and do better thereafter. So, yeah, um, and particularly if you are an empath and or highly sensitive person. Um, If someone says to you, I don't like what you wrote or I don't agree with your message or what you believe in, um, you are wrong, then what I would say is don't take that shit on. Like people have to own their stuff. If someone is uncomfortable, they need to own that. That's not your job to fix or repair or coddle. No coddling. That's for eggs. So. (laughs) Just, yeah, so just really, I think that was one of the hardest lessons for me when I came to realise, um, you know, my sensitivities that I would take on people's stuff and then I would wonder why I was getting sick and I would wonder why I was so drained. Um, it's because I, I would let people get in. Um, yeah. And it's not, this isn't about like, you know, wearing like a big cloak and um, protecting yourself from whatever potential harm is out there but it's just about being discerning about your yes. boundaries. And also um, if someone wants to
0: send you their shit, send it back. You know, don't take that on. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and kind of like, you know, moderated with what we were just talking about before, what I kind of like to do is like, look and be like, is there something here for me? Like, is, is, is any yeah. of this information actually for me? Or is this just about them? You know what I mean? It's like, is there actually something here for me or is this just like a projection of discomfort being put toward me?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of projection. It's it's almost, what I've noticed is there have been times where I have written about certain things and people are offended because they maybe have um, used certain phrases that are just really unacceptable. Um, and they will try and battle with me. They'll try and sort of negotiate or play devil's advocate with me and say, oh, but that's not what the word means or I don't I don't see how my use of it is bad because I do all of these other things that are so not related. Um, I'm a good person. Um, you know, why are you being mean to me by writing this stuff that makes me feel bad? I, I, I get that. I, I get that and I, I sometimes think, what is wrong with you
0: like
1: yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not here to make you feel better like hello <laughs> I'm not here to make you feel better mm-hmm. if it makes you feel uncomfortable then that means you need to go away
0: yeah I, about it. exactly the <laughs> correct response is thank you for showing me where my work is you know mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. thank you for showing me where my work is you know I have seen I so much of this has come up for me in the last few years that I've done my work and I'm like you know, because I've culturally appropriated, you know, I've used some sage and I've done this and that. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, thank you. I've got some work to do around that. Thank you. You know, and I think when we're really, really in this, if we're really looking for sovereignty, and if we're really searching for this personal freedom, then we want to know where the next bit of work is, even if it's uncomfortable. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, that's
0: right. And and we can acknowledge like, oh, that's where I have some work. Okay, well, it's going to be uncomfortable. Thank you. (laughs) I'll go and do that. I'll go and do that now, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> yeah. That's what I would love to see.
1: more.
0: Yeah. yeah more of I that.
1: Have pretty strong, ba- yeah. Strong boundaries around that. So I, I see, um, I've seen people get drained by these messages that they're receiving from people. You know, if people don't get a response on in the comments, the person will, send them a dm or they'll send them an email that's happened to me someone ended up sending me an email it was a long email i skim read it and went no yep not responding so yeah you know it's really being really strong in that and whether you are doing um social activism work or not and being someone who's empathic and highly sensitive you really do have to pick and choose what you engage in and that doesn't mean that you're being um that that you're not doing the work. It just means that you need to preserve your energy for things that you can handle and that you can manage. um, Well, and I like
0: how, sorry, I'm sorry. I like how you use the word discernment because, I mean, I think that that's so much what sovereignty is about is really like fine tuning discernment, you know, what, what am I, yes, spending my energy on? Yeah, it's brilliant. Mm.
1: So, yeah. So even if you're not doing this kind of work, even if you're just trying to get by and, you're living your daily life and you're trying to do maybe some spiritual development work, or you are trying to understand yourself better, you know, understand your sensitivities and and that kind of thing. And you start to recognize that sometimes people over ask, you know, they want too much from you. You can say no, you know, that's being sovereign. That's kind of saying, you know what? I don't think I, I, I don't think I'm the person for you or, I think you need to do that for yourself or I'm not resourced to do this for you mm-hmm. because this is your work and people won't like that people won't like that you know um, oh, I because people yeah. latch on to you
0: <laughs> <laughs> I say yeah. that all the time I say you know when you are really taking care of yourself people are going to be disappointed
1: mm, yeah, and absolutely. and that's yep, just that's how true. it's going
0: to be you know so yeah. Get, yeah. get used to being okay with that mm, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah and and get used to telling people that when you say no, you mean it and there's no discussion here, you know?
0: It's a complete sentence, you know?
1: Yeah. It's, it's it's not easy. It's quite hard. I I know, I I know this can be quite difficult for for much younger people as well. Mm -hmm. um, Because there's like always, you know, other kind of things that might be going through their mind. And I know this happened to me uh, when Mm -hmm. I was younger, that, um, I just wanted people to be happy. So rather yeah. than stand up for myself, I would just, you know, I would just like let it go or I would just do what they wanted. And ultimately you don't want to learn the hard way. You don't want to learn that oh, this is how it feels when you don't you, when you're not in your power, like you yeah. obviously have to have those disempowering moments before you can feel comfortable stepping up. But um there are situations that I've had in my life where I wish I had just left, mm. but um, and know that I would still be okay. So that's what I would like to say: that um, just you will be okay if you say no, and the person doesn't want to have anything to do with you anymore. That's fine because they were never in it for you. They were in it. They were with you, your friend, you're in your relationship with you because they got something from you, and it wasn't reciprocal.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh, all right. Well, we're going to have to start wrapping it up. Unfortunately, this is such a great conversation. Um, I always love to know, like, what do you do? You know, what do powerful spiritual women do when you're not leading in gatekeeping? What do you do in your free time, Sharon? Gosh,
1: you really want to know?
0: Of oh, course is, I do. Uh, let's gonna, let's, okay, let's this, de- this, demystify our gatekeepers, <laughs> you know? This is, is going to be really telling, I
1: think. Um, well, as I mentioned earlier i do I do um, have a job so um, yeah I do work in a in a global company um, and I've been doing um, sort of specialist contracts work for a long time so that's what I do in my daytime gig um, in my spare time um, I spend time with my family so my husband my daughter and our dog who's an Italian greyhound. I always share photos of him because he's very cute. Um, we also look after other Italian greyhounds so We've actually got a couple staying with us at the moment, so it's a bit, um, it's a bit crazy town upstairs. Three of them are using the house as a racetrack. Um, uh,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: so uh, what else do we do? Beach time, pool time. Um, I, my way of unwinding is to usually watch episodes of Supernatural um, oh yeah that's a good yeah, one yeah so yeah I, I'm yeah I love Supernatural and I love watching Buffy and I actually do like also the Vampire Diaries so
0: I'm yeah I love the Vampire I just got stuff. hooked on the Vampire <laughs> Diaries I'm <laughs> right there you? with you yes yes <laughs> <laughs> I have a client who had been talking oh about god. it for years and I needed a new show and like oh my god it's just it's like ridiculously <laughs> wonderful I love it <laughs>
1: It's so funny because I I was so resistant. I was so resistant to it because I was like a huge, you know, from the nineties and early two thousands, huge Buffy fan, you know, nothing compares to Buffy. What are you saying? There's this other show. I was like, what? They look too perfect. And then I was like, well. This is good.
0: Yeah. I know. And, uh, I know.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. I love the little yeah. confessionals. Thank you. So, all right. To <laughs> finish this, uh, this up, Sharon, um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about um, any programs or offerings or ways that listeners can support you right now?
1: Sure. Um, so for anyone who would really like to do more work in the realm of um, social justice and social activism, I... Have a free guide that um, is being updated at the moment and will be sent out to my list very soon. Um, it's the Reading and Resources for Activist Guide. So it's a compilation of um, articles, uh, links to links to articles, books, programs um, that you can sign up for where you can get educated on activism um, and intersectionality and various other things. So. Um, that's going to be, that's about 20 pages long now. So there's a lot of information in there. So, um, and there's quite a few people in there whose work that I've shared that I support on Patreon. So you can also find me on Patreon where I am cultivating um, an art activism and conscious leadership movement. Um, And depending on whether you want to be part of that community or not, there are some uh, public posts so you can get a, a taste for what I like to write about and, what I talk about, and um, if you join my exclusive community, you get exclusive Patreon, uh, patron content that only you get to see. Um, I've got a few ebooks coming out that will go to patrons. Um, I've got like a lot of articles. I've been writing quite a lot lately, um, and I've actually got a giveaway that's a Patreon only giveaway that's um, I'm launching in April. So if you join um, very soon, you might be able to be part of that. Um, I do also offer one-on-one mentoring. So if you do want to get in touch and talk to me about um, helping and supporting you with your empath, highly sensitive abilities, um, creative mentoring, creative brainstorming, I'm available for that as well. And you can just go to my website, gutsygirl.com.au for that.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And I'll make sure to include all of the links here that you talked about. So I always like to finish Sharon with, um, what's the one thing that you would like our listeners to know?
1: Mm. Hmm. I would say to trust yourself and to trust your evolution there's still plenty of time to be all that you are.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for being here today, Sharon. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Well, thank you so much, and I really enjoyed chatting with you and thank you for the opportunity to have this great conversation.
0: You're so welcome. For information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.